Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. go episode 35 is underway and i can't wait we're going to switch things up a bit this week i know that the show has been football heavy lately with the nfl draft but the nba playoffs playoffs don't talk about playoffs you kidding me playoffs that's right the nba playoffs are right around the corner so who better to join the show then 2003 nba champion with the san antonio spurs speedy claxton I can't wait. Speedy is all set to join the show. We're going to get into his playing days. We'll discuss the Russ Westbrook AI comparisons. Of course, Speedy was a teammate of Allen Iverson in his early days with Philadelphia. And we're going to discuss Speedy Claxton being named the newest head coach of the Hofstra Pride men's basketball team, his alma mater. No better situation for now Coach Claxton and the Hofstra Pride. I'm going to give my reaction and my final word to the NFL schedule release that took place Wednesday night. But first, let's get into it. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner. The play-in games begin Tuesday, of course, this year. The top 10 teams from each conference have a chance to make the playoffs through a pretty intricate system. I'll break it down before getting too into it. LeBron James and the Lakers likely going from world champs to a play-in game. I mean, there's an outside chance the Lakers sneak in. They get one of the top six spots in the Western Conference, and they're safe from the early play-in games next week, but it's really unlikely. I mean, if you look at the teams in front of them, the Dallas Mavericks, their remaining schedule, they have the Raptors, they have the Timberwolves. If you look at the Trailblazers, they have a tougher schedule. They, They are at Phoenix, and they host Denver, but the way Portland's been playing, I mean, this is a team that just beat the Lakers. They just won on the road at Utah. They've beaten San Antonio and Houston in recent games. The Portland Trailblazers are hot. They've won five straight, and I don't see them fading. Even though they've got two tough opponents coming up, I don't see them losing both games and giving the Lakers a path to the top six. I think you're going to see LeBron, Anthony Davis, and the Lakers in a playing game against the Golden State Warriors. Because it's not seven versus ten, eight versus nine in this new playing system. No, it's seven versus eight. And 9 versus 10. And the loser of the 9-10 game goes home 1 and done. You get one chance. Don't blow it. The winner of the 7-8 game is the 7 seed. They get the right to play the 2 seed. So the loser of the 7-8 game and the winner of the 9-10 game then play each other for the right to be the 8 seed. I mean, you could have the defending world champion Los Angeles Lakers, a team that I think everyone thought was going to be the one seed, at least the top two seed, probably the one seed in the Western Conference this year, they could be the eight seed if they lose a home game to Golden State in the opening round of the play-in, and then they knock off the winner of Memphis San Antonio. Or if they decide to drop two straight, the Lakers could miss the playoffs altogether and be in the NBA draft lottery just one year removed from winning an NBA title. It's absolutely incredible. And LeBron James, somewhat understandably so, hates this, but why does he hate it? 
You know, I love LeBron James. I think he is the best player of all time. I'll argue LeBron over Jordan. No disrespect to Jordan. I just think LeBron is the GOAT. And, and I've made that argument to many people on many occasions. I'm, I'm very disappointed with LeBron on this. You know, he tweeted out a couple weeks ago, whoever came up with this playing shit needs to be fired. Why? Because it doesn't help you? I, I mean, I love LeBron James, but on this one, I think he could not be more off. Uh, this play-in system is actually great. I love it. It gives a team like the Russ Westbrook-led, Bradley Beal-led, Washington Wizards a chance to make the playoffs. And shouldn't they have a chance? I mean, did the Wizards start slow? Absolutely. But right now in the NBA, they're one of the best eight teams in the Eastern Conference. I think the Wizards right now are better than the Boston Celtics, who are going to be the seventh seed in this play-in tournament. I mean, the Celtics just lost Jalen Brown. What would be more entertaining? A Wizards 76ers first round or a Celtics 76ers first round? I, I think rivalry aside, it's absolutely Washington versus Philly. And we saw last year in the bubble, right? The Phoenix Suns in a COVID-ridden world, not that we're in the clear yet, but we're obviously in a much better situation now, in a COVID-ridden world where the NBA teams who wanted to resume their season had to be sent to a bubble in Disney to do so, the Phoenix Suns showed up and they showed out. They won all eight games in that bubble, went 8-0, and and what did they do? They missed the playoffs. I mean, that was so wrong. The way that Phoenix performed, you had teams... I believe it was the Orlando Magic. In fact, the home team in that bubble situation, I believe they went 2-6 and six and they backed their way into the playoffs. I know they're in separate conferences, but you have an 8-0 and o team in those dire circumstances, miss the playoffs and other teams back their way in. It's just so wrong. And so I absolutely love this current format with the play-in situation. And I don't care if it helps or hurts LeBron. Is the NBA better off with LeBron in the playoffs? Absolutely. Are we as viewers better off with LeBron in the playoffs? Absolutely. But you know what? His injury was unfortunate. The Lakers probably should have put a better team around him and Anthony Davis this season, knowing that they weren't weren't going to be there for all 72 games. I mean, injury aside, you can't foresee those things, but coming off a an extended season due to the COVID circumstances... A world championship where the two teams in the finals play more games than any other team in the league. Everyone knows that. And then the shortest offseason in NBA history, such a quick turnaround. I mean, LeBron's not one to take load management, you know, a la Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers. But look at the Clippers right now. Look at the Lakers right now. The Clippers are what, the three seed in the West? And the Lakers, if they don't win at least one of two games next week, in the middle of next week, the Lakers are going to be bounced. And I don't think that they will be. I think Golden State right now, the way Steph Curry's cooking up in the kitchen, I think Golden State could beat the Lakers in that 7-8 game. It would be really tough for Los Angeles for me to see them losing to Memphis or San Antonio, but it's not completely out of the question, especially more so, I think, against Memphis, a, a team with young stars. John Morant is an absolute pit bull out there. It, you know, it's not out of the question that the Lakers miss the playoffs, and to me, that's on the front office more than anyone. LeBron, he got hurt. I get it. Anthony Davis has battled injuries too. The rest of that roster is really weak. Really, really weak. It is not a defending champion roster in Los Angeles. The Clippers, on the other hand, they've got a championship roster in Los Angeles. The Clippers look amazing. Kawhi, you know, I know I took a subtle dig at him for the load management. Well, he's played a ton this year. Paul George has showed up and shown out this year. The Clippers have a better supporting cast, even though they lost 
Montrez Harrell, their perennial sixth man of the year, candidate to their crosstown rival, the Lakers. The Clippers are putting in work out there, and they are having a hell of a season. You could see them be the Los Angeles team to rise out of the West this year. And how amazing would that be? A Clippers-Philly final? I know we're a long way off, but what about the storylines there? Doc Rivers and the Sixers against the Clippers, the team that Doc could never get to that next step past the second round, essentially, of the NBA playoffs, of the Western Conference playoffs. I mean, we could be talking about an entirely different Los Angeles team in just a few weeks. But Los Angeles is great. You know, it's the second biggest media market, second biggest city in the U.S. It's not New York. And the Lakers and Clippers are great. But they're not the Knicks. They're not my New York Knicks who are going to the playoffs for the first time in almost a decade. I mean, everyone wants to clinch a playoff berth with a win, right? Wouldn't you think, of course, that's the best way to clinch a playoff berth? You earn it yourself, you win the game, you celebrate right after. But if the Knicks had to pick one team whose loss would send them to the playoffs, it's pretty good that it worked out that the Boston Celtics losing on Wednesday night Uh, to, of all teams, an awful Cleveland Cavaliers squad. That's what sent the Knicks to the playoffs. The Cavs breaking an 11-game losing streak against Boston is what sends my New York Knicks to the playoffs. And look, I know, as you'll be listening to this, it's Friday. I'm recording it here on Thursday, and the Knicks have a game in between the recording and the dropping time at home against San Antonio. Right now, where we're at, Thursday around noon, The Knicks have three games left. They're all at home. I mean, the Knicks are 38 and 31 at the moment. They are 22 and 11 with Derrick Rose on the court. They acquired D Rose February 8th. The team was 11 and 14. Rose, of course, missed some time with COVID. The team really struggled without him. When he's on the court, they are 22 and 11. Do you know how many teams have a better winning percentage than the Knicks? Since February 8th, then the Knicks with Derrick Rose, that is. The Miami Heat, Knicks were 11-14 and 14 that day. Heat were 9-14. and 14, So the Heat barely are better than the Knicks. The Brooklyn Nets, of course, because they went on to acquire their big three. They were only like 14-12 and 12 on February 8th. The Nets are the best team in the East since then. Heat by a hair over the Knicks. And that's it. In fact, the Knicks and the one-seed 76ers have the same winning percentage since February 8th, again, that's the Knicks with Derrick Rose. 22-11 and 11 for the Knicks, 30-15 and 15 for Philadelphia. You know, you listen to the national talk shows, right? The Fox Sports, the ESPNs. They give the Knicks their propers. I mean, the Knicks move headlines. They generate buzz. But they dismiss what the Knicks can do past the first round of the playoffs. Right now, they're the sixth seed by a half game. Good chance they could end up in that 4-5 because there are three games coming up this weekend. All at home. San Antonio, Charlotte, Boston. Charlotte and the Celtics, I believe, are going to be the 7 and 8 seeds playing each other in the playing games come Tuesday. It's a pretty favorable schedule, especially to be at home for. It's not out of the question that the Knicks can win out, finish 41 and 31. That should guarantee them the fourth seed in the East and a first round home matchup with either Atlanta or Miami, which, by the way, Knicks' heat would be absolutely electric. Probably rather play the Hawks. Because the Heat, just like the Knicks, have been on fire the past few months. But a Knicks-Heat 4-5 seed first round, absolutely incredible. Feed that to me right now. But they're saying after the first round, right? These national hosts, these national shows, they're saying after the first round, 
forget about it, right? Just dismiss the Knicks. They have no shot against Philly, no shot against Brooklyn. I believe it's already clinched, right? It's No, so it's not clinched yet. So whether it's Philly or Brooklyn, they're saying that the Knicks have no shot. I couldn't disagree more. Look, have the Knicks beaten Philly or Brooklyn this season? No. All right, they haven't. But if you look at their last four games against those two opponents, two apiece, two with the Nets, two with the Sixers, you've got a two-point loss at Brooklyn in early April. You've got a one-point overtime loss against Philly, a three-point loss at Philly, and a five-point loss at Brooklyn. That's between March 15th and April 5th. They played those teams twice each, never lost by more than five, put one game to overtime. I mean, the Knicks are right there. They are right there, and they are ripe to push a series in the second round with either one of those divisional rivals to six games, to seven games, maybe even to knock them off. Because what the Knicks do better than anyone in the NBA this year, and it's so nice to say that the Knicks do something better than everyone in the league, because usually the only thing in the past decade that they do better than everyone is lose. Right now, what the Knicks do better than everyone in the NBA is they play defense. They're the only team in the NBA who allows less than 105 points per game. I mean, Philly has a good defense. They're third in the East. The Nets? Third worst in the East. The Nets are beating teams on average 119 to 115. The Knicks are beating teams 107 to 105. Now, I say less than 105. It's 104.9 is what they're giving up per game. You get the Nets in a defensive battle. A banged up Nets team. Who knows on any given night which night Kevin Durant's not playing. Which night James Harden isn't playing. You get the Nets slightly shorthanded. And look, shorthanded for the Nets is uh, is another team's dream. But the Knicks can make it happen. Like I said, 22-11 and 11 when Derrick Rose plays. And Derrick Rose isn't even starting. He's getting 36 minutes off the bench. Uh, I mean, his presence on this team in a Tom Thibodeau run tough 90s style New York team is absolutely priceless. Julius Randle, look, we want to talk about Nikola Jokic being the MVP, Chris Paul maybe being the other person in that race. If the MVP truly stands for the most valuable player in the NBA, Julius Randle is your MVP. I know Jamal Murray went down and the Nuggets have actually played better without him than when he was there and Jokic has been incredible and their savior and he's averaging a near triple-double with his eight assists to go along with his double-double. He's going to be the MVP. Julius Randle leads the Knicks in all three categories, right? Leads him in scoring about 24 a game, rebounding about 11 and a half, and assists. I mean, Jokic, I know he averages over eight assists a game, which is wild for a center. Randle's averaging six. I mean, this guy, his three-point shooting is incredible. The Knicks are a top five team in three-point efficiency, despite taking fewer three-pointers than anyone in basketball. I mean, Julius Randle, has earned. And when I say earned, he has grinded and fought for every incentive that was in his contract that we scoffed at in the preseason. Oh, he gets a million dollar bonus for being an all-star. Well, that's not going to happen. A million dollar bonus for making the playoffs? No shot. Julius Randle is the most valuable player right now in basketball to his team, bar maybe LeBron James. And I think the LeBron James value is showing, right? Everyone who gets mad, oh, LeBron shouldn't be the MVP every year. No, no, no. LeBron has fewer MVPs than he deserves. Because even with Anthony Davis, you're seeing that the Lakers are a shell of themselves without LeBron James. And by the way, that Knicks-Lakers game, why do I believe in the Knicks so much? Is it the fan in me? No, I've written this team off 
for the past decade. I'm not a blind fan. I don't have false hope every year on opening day. In fact, this year I thought it would be more of the same. I thought it would be a slight improvement, but I didn't think the playoffs would happen. Maybe the 10 seed with the play-in games? I didn't think they'd be sitting here right now with a 6 seed, an opportunity to be a 4 seed, and be safe from the play-in games. That was the furthest thing from my imagination. So why do I think they can actually give, if they get out of the first round, going to be tough, whether it's Atlanta, Miami, Milwaukee, of course, if they stay in the sixth seed, that's who they would have to play. Why do I think if they get out of the first round, they can beat Brooklyn or Philadelphia? Look at that West Coast road trip that they're coming home from. I mean, two weeks away from home, two weeks, Houston, Memphis, both Los Angeles teams beat the Clippers, took the Lakers to overtime just to barely lose that one. The Knicks went three and three on a West Coast road trip that in years past, even about a decade ago when they had Mello and Stoudemire and the Knicks were a playoff team and they were really good, those West Coast road trips always plagued them. They always struggled. 10 days, 14 days away from New York. I mean, it's long, it's grueling. You're living in and out of hotels, jumping from Memphis to Los Angeles to Houston. Those are brutal. The Knicks went three and three. Almost should have, frankly, gone four, four and two. This team can play. Those trips are absolutely grueling. Doesn't matter if you're the Sixers, the Nets, or the Charlotte Hornets, or the Chicago Bulls. I mean, those trips, no matter what kind of team you are, are grueling. And the Knicks held their own in almost every single game, maybe except for the Nuggets game. That, that got a little out of hand early. This Knicks team can play. Tom Thibodeau is the runaway coach of the year. Julius Randle should finish top three in the MVP voting. Derek Rose is, well, Derek Rose. I mean, don't forget, this is a guy injuries have prevented from having a Hall of Fame career. He was, the minute he stepped on a court, going to be one of the great ones. And you know what? In my book, for what he's done with this Knicks team, Derek Rose, you're a great one. When we come back, Speedy Claxton, 03 NBA champ, newest coach of your Hofstra Pride men's basketball team joins the show. I can't wait, so stick with me, Joe Serralo, right here on Serralo Sports Talk. Don't even think about leaving. You're locked into the best sports talk out there. Here's Joe. We're back here on Serralo Sports Talk and joining the show now. He was the 20th overall pick of the 2000 NBA Draft, a world champion with the 2003 San Antonio Spurs, and now the newest head coach of the Hofstra Pride men's basketball team, Speedy Claxton. Coach Claxton, congratulations, and thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you, man. I, I truly appreciate that. and looking forward to chopping it up with you, Joe. It's uh, it's going to be a good time. You know, as a kid growing up, went to a lot of Hofstra games here on Long Island. And how did it feel to be named the head coach at your alma mater? I mean, truly amazing. You know, it's a it's a dream come true. You know, like you said, I, I played here and to come back and to be able to to lead this program. I mean, it's it truly is a full circle. Now, when you played at Hofstra, a lot of people don't realize this. You played under a phenomenal coach in Jay Wright, who, of course, now has a couple national titles at Villanova. 
What was the first thing Coach Wright said to you when you got the head coaching job? He said, you're going to be amazing. He said, you're going to be amazing at this. Uh, he said, believe in yourself. Uh, get the kids to play hard. And just just live in the moment. And I'm sure, you know, given that Hofstra had a ton of success when you were there, I'm sure you're looking to take this team back to where it was when Jay Wright was coaching there. What's that going to require from you? Oh, yeah, definitely. We will get back there as well. Um, you know, it's going to take a lot of hard work and dedication. Um, of course, recruit high low kids. Maybe I can find me a Speedy Claxton here and there. <laughs> um, but now nah, we're going to bring in some good high-character high kids and really keep this program going in the right direction. Now, Speedy, Jay Wright's not the only great coach you played for. You actually played for a bunch of amazing coaches in the NBA, most notably Greg Popovich. Has he reached out to you? What kind of communication and dialogue have you guys had since getting the job? Yeah, Pop reached out, uh, wished me the best. Um, and Pop is amazing, you know. Love playing for him. Uh, he is he, he is somebody that I definitely study from afar because the way he treats his players and interact with his players, that's kind of how I want to interact with my players. You know, he treats everybody the same from the best player to the last place, last guy on the, on the team. And I think that's why everybody loves him and respects him because no matter who you are, you're going to get treated the same. Yeah, and what else separates him? I mean, when it comes to being on the court, what separates Pop from the other guys you played for? I mean, he's a legend. Uh, he, he's been around for a long time, yeah. and he's won. And that's respectable. Now, playing for some great coaches, guys like Jay Wright, Greg Popovich, you also played alongside some incredible players. I mean, AI in Philly, David Robinson, I believe it was his last season you guys won that title. Uh, Tim Duncan, of course. I, I mean, which guy did you learn the most from on the court? Uh, I'm probably going to say Tim Duncan. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say Tim Duncan. You know, Tim is... Tim was great to play with because he was always encouraging. Um, no matter if you missed three shots in a row, he's still going to pass it out to you like, yo, make the, next, make the next one and always have confidence in yourself. So definitely Tim. Uh, I mean, look, I argue he's the best power forward of all time. Of course, you know, I haven't seen some of the all-time greats, but where would he come in, in your opinion, in that ranking? Tim is number one. All right. Uh, yeah, that's, a, that's an easy one for me. Uh, there's, there's nobody better at that position than Tim Duncan. Uh, I love it. I love it. Now, Speedy, your Philadelphia days, playing with AI, I mean, what kind of character was Allen? You know, AI gets betrayed wrong because he he wasn't into the, to the media. Mm -hmm. um, so people think that he was a low-character person where it's completely the opposite. Like, AI was a great teammate. He gets along with everybody. Um, he just didn't like to deal with the media because they 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 put out a wrong image of him, and he he was nothing like that. Yeah, you know it's funny because you see a lot of comparisons right now in terms of playing style between AI and Russ Westbrook. Those comparisons have been out for the past week or two, and those are two guys who you mentioned it with Iverson. I feel like are unfairly portrayed. In the yeah. media, what do you think of Westbrook, what he's doing just past Oscar Robertson, most triple doubles in league history? Westbrook is an unbelievable player. The things, the numbers that he's posting, posting right now, incredible. I mean, he's he's a walking triple-double. And 
you know, when you when you play this game, you know how truly hard it is to get a triple double. Like I was I was only fortunate to be close one time when I was with the actually with the Spurs. And actually Tim Duncan, I had the rebound. I was one rebound shy away from the from receiving the triple double. And I was just right there about to get my last rebound. And then Tim Duncan came out of nowhere and grabbed it. <laughs> and he looked at me, because everybody knew I only did one rebound. He looked, he got the rebound, he looked at me. In the middle of the game, he was like, well, at the end of the game, he looked at me and he's like, yo, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and they handed me the ball. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, I still remember the only triple-double I had. Now, I'm 6'4", so in high school, that was good enough to be a center. Obviously, if I was playing for you at Hofstra, I'd be like a two-guard. But uh, yeah. it, it came on points, rebounds, and block shots. I got my last 10 wow, okay. with about four seconds to go in the game. And, uh, He's out there punching things. You know, I still feel bad about it, Speedy. They had they emptied their bench. We were winning by a lot, and they had some kid who did not get a lot of playing time uh, out there. He blocked his shot. Come on, Joe. And, and I was I was stat sheet stuffing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I still feel bad about it, but you know, I can say it's hey, the only triple double. Triple doubles are hard to come by, man. We see what Ricky Davis did. <laughs> yeah, they absolutely are. You know, Speedy, it's funny. So obviously, I mentioned I'm a Long Island kid. Grew up going to a lot of Hofstra games, but I'm born in 98, so I missed watching you play at Hofstra. The first time I ever found out oh, who Speedy Now you're going to make me feel old, huh? <laughs> okay, so I got you. The first time I ever found out who Speedy Claxton was, I believe I was playing NBA maybe 2K8, and I come across you, and it's the tail end of your career, and I see, you know, under the bio, college, Hofstra. And I'm like, I got to get this guy on my franchise. He's got to be my backup point guard. He went to Hofstra. He's a Long Island guy. How cool is it? You know, I mean, I don't know if I've ever asked this before. I've had a ton of NFL players on. I never talk about Madden. How cool is it to see yourself in a video game that first time? Amazing. Um, you know, I think the first one I was on was like 2K1 or whatever. And, you know, growing up playing video games and to, to actually be part of the video game and to be able to play with yourself and not – not be like a, a, a custom edit. It was like crazy. Like whenever I played, of course I picked Philly and I would take Eric Snow out the, out the starting lineup and put myself in. But then I would always lose because no one else got shots on the team. I shot myself every time. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't, I wasn't highly rated, so I didn't make too many shots. <laughs> yeah, right? You're shooting uh, 30, 30 field goal attempts with the 67 overall attached to your name. <laughs> you, you know, it's... <laughs> it's got to be amazing seeing yourself in the game, but how personally do you guys take it? Maybe more so nowadays than when you played when they don't like their overall rating. Yeah, it's, it's different now. Back then it was just more fun. Uh, these, this generation is way more into it. And they get, they get mad when they're rated not as high as they think they should be. Yeah. I, I've seen the way some athletes respond and I'm like, well, guys, it's, it's a it's, video game. Like it's a video game. It's not that serious. It's not your actual rating. <laughs> You go out there and play your game. Amazing. So, look, I've mentioned that the Long Island connection enough. Growing up, you're born in Hempstead, uh, went to Christ the King, of course, a basketball powerhouse. What was that Long Island, New York City hoop scene like growing up? Man, it was the best, you know, going around, playing in different tournaments. It was, it'll be day, it'll be weekends and some days, Saturdays, where I would have three games in one day. And my dad would be driving me from citywide in Queen to to the Broncos tournament and the Bronx to maybe Kenny Anderson and Lefrak. So I mean it was it was 
a wonderful experience growing up. I loved it. And man, I wish I could go back and do it all again. Now, I, I know you guys are a couple years apart. Did you play with Lamar Odom at Christ the King? Yeah, Lamar and I played at Christ the King together. Um, and then we played at Christ the King for two years. And we also played at AU together. Oh, wow. So what was that like coming up the system with him? I mean, it had to be a good connection, the point guard to the power forward. It was very easy. I'll tell you, I got a lot of assists because of him. Just throw it up to LO and he'll go up there, get it, and go score. So it was fun playing with him. It made my job a, a lot easier. What, what were some of the other big names that you came up through the system with in, in Long Island and the city? I uh, played against, well, Eric Bogg was on our team, also at Crazy King, who went to St. John's. He was a McDonald's All-American, got drafted by uh, the Trailblazers. And my actually my same draft. Um, played against Steph Watts, the Stephon Marbury. Uh, Felipe Lopez, uh, Amazing. God, Sham God, uh, Charlton Clark, uh, New York City basketball was amazing. Wally Serbiak was on Long Island. Yeah, Cold Spring it. Harbor. Yeah, so I mean, New York basketball was, it was crazy. You, play, you pretty much played against quality opponents every time you stepped on the, on the court. And now, Coach, you've been an assistant at Hopster since 2013, and you guys have really enjoyed some success in recent years. How important is that New York City pipeline to recruiting for a team like Hopster? It's extremely important. You know, you want to try to keep the local talent home because um, it's just easier to get kids. You know, a lot of kids might not want to go uh, far away to school. So it's, it's, it's crucial that we get the, the local talent to stay home. And then it makes it easier if you have success with those kids to get the next wave and to get, I mean, to keep your name, to keep your name hot in the streets. And how much do you think it helps that you came up through those ranks when it comes to relatability, right? I mean, uh, when you're recruiting, I'm sure the first thing you want to do is look at kid in the eye and say, look, I've been in your shoes. Come have success with us. You know, it, it definitely helps. You know, all the, the old New York City guys who are assisting this generation and picking schools, you know, they all remember me and they all remember how I did it and I achieved greatness. So all these kids that are hoping and dreaming of going to the NBA, they were like, look, Speedy did it from this school. He's now the head coach at that school. He basically have the blueprint. You just have to follow it and your dreams can come true also. So I'm, I'm walking inspiration to these kids that, that we recruit. Yeah, that's really incredible to be able to be that for those kids. You know, Coach, when you were at Hopster, you, of course, played in the 2000 NCAA tournament against a really good Oklahoma State team. Uh, how much how much does the thrill of playing in March Madness compare to the NBA playoffs where you achieved the ultimate greatness? I mean, it's, it, it definitely ranks up there. Um, it's, it's, it, was, it was different because making it to the NCAA tournament from a – mid-major like Hofstra means a lot. You know, we don't get there <laughs> every year. So we worked up until that point and we got better and got closer each and every year. And to finally get over the hump my senior year and play in the NCAA tournament was everything for this community, uh, for this university, for this program. And then, you know, playing in the finals, that's, I mean, that's a dream come true for anybody that watches uh, the NBA and is a fan of the game. You know, watching Michael Jordan, Isaiah Thomas, Isaiah Thomas, Maggie Johnson, 
playing in the finals and then to actually be able to be on that stage was mind blowing and so surreal. Yeah, I can only imagine. You know, what part of that March Madness experience to you do you want to most relate to these kids to help motivate them in this coming season? Um, to, to live in the moment um, and don't take it for granted. You, these are memories that will last a, a lifetime. Uh, two years ago, we actually made it back to the NCAA tournament, but then COVID hit, so we didn't actually get the full experience, and it just sucked because I know how hard and special it is to get there from this, from like a university like this. Yeah. And for you as a coach, I mean, look, you now, whether it was as an assistant or now as a head coach, you have the opportunity to go back, to take Hofstra back. How much does it hurt you knowing that a lot of those kids, you know, one of them, I told you off the air, I know personally, Tariq Coburn being a St. Bonaventure guy originally like myself, how much does it hurt knowing that those kids just lost that opportunity and can't get it back? It sucks. I mean, because like I said, these are memories that you're going to remember for a very long time. And like you said, you'll never be able to experience it again. So it, it's, it definitely sucks for those kids, but hopefully uh, they can share in the next experience that we, we get here. And hopefully it comes soon. Coach, before I let you go, what's the biggest thing that we should expect from Pride Basketball this coming season? It's just a lot of energy, passion, um, greediness, and toughness, man. We're going to go out there and compete and, and be fun to watch. Well, I can't wait to make my way out to Hempstead and catch a game in the fall. Coach Claxton, best of luck getting back to the tournament. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me, Joe. It was a pleasure. We'll be right back here on Sorallo Sports Talk with my final word. Don't change that channel. It's time for Joe's final word here on Sorallo Sports Talk. It is time for my final word here on this week's episode of Sorallo Sports Talk. What an incredible spot by Speedy Claxton. I mean, just such a good, high-energy, fun guy. I can't wait to see what he does at Hofstra, hopefully gets them back to the NCAA tournament. Haven't been since 2001, of course, like we discussed, they earned the right to go in March of 2020, but COVID had other ideas. I'm sure he'll be the guy to get him back there. I can't wait to see what he does with that program. Hey, let's get to the NFL schedule release. All right, I mean, this is one of the biggest distractions in the media, which football, of course, can do. You know, they make the draft a two-month-long spectacle when it's, you know, a weekend-long event. They make the schedule release a big deal because now starts dead season. You know, they got busy season, the regular season, the playoffs, the Super Bowl, the draft. And then from May to August, it's like, well, what do we do from here? We release the schedule and make a big deal talking about what-ifs and who's playing who when and who returns to their old team when. And that's exactly what I'm going to buy into. I'm going to fall for it, right? Because there are three major talking points that I took away from the schedule release. It's the week one matchups, the revenge games, and then week 18, the first week 18 in league history, what games will be most important come the end of the year. So with week one, look, Tampa Bay, they get that Thursday night home opener. They're the defending Super Bowl champs. That's how it goes every year. I don't think it's much of a surprise. They'll be hosting the Dallas Cowboys 
in that game. I, I think it came down to a couple of teams. Dallas seemed to be the favorite. That wasn't who I wanted to see there. I wanted to see the Buccaneers and the Buffalo Bills on Thursday night. I mean, to me, the storylines are still there, right? I know the Bills aren't America's team, but let's face it, they're way more entertaining than Dallas. They're way better than Dallas. And, oh yeah, the storyline, Tom Brady versus the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, that's there. There's no love lost between Tom Brady and Bills Mafia. I mean, that would have been incredible to see a Bills team that could realistically go to Tampa Bay. They will later in the year, but could realistically go to Tampa Bay on opening night when the Bucks are celebrating winning a Super Bowl, first team ever to do it in their home stadium, all that jazz for the Bills to go there and knock them off. A hungry, chippy team that just came off a brutal loss in the conference championship game to Kansas City. That would have been a blast opening night. I don't want to see Tampa Bay go out there and demolish Dallas. I know Dak Prescott's back. And look, uh, for someone who hates the Cowboys, I really do love Dak Prescott. And seeing him get injured the way he did last year against my Giants was gut-wrenching. And you don't wish that on anyone, especially a great guy like Dak Prescott. Even with him, Dallas can't compete with Tampa Bay. They have to worry about the Giants and the Washington football team, right? I mean, they they should be focused on being the 9-8 and eight team to come out of the NFC least. They're not going to go make any noise at Tampa Bay on opening night. I know that they, you know, tried to address their defense in the draft. I still don't think they had a good draft. I mean, they took a couple of inside linebackers, Micah Parsons, Jabril Cox. Inside linebacker is the only position on this Dallas defense that was actually formidable going into the draft. And they drafted two of them with high picks, including their first rounder. You know, they spent three third round picks on guys that had sixth or seventh round grades. It was not a good draft for Dallas. They addressed the needs. I don't think they did so appropriately. And I don't think they're going to give Tampa Bay much of a game at all. I think this is going to be like Kansas City Houston a year ago on opening night. It's going to be a blowout, a disappointment. So I don't love that. I understand it ratings wise, but I don't love it. Week one, what I do love? Jets-Panthers. I cannot wait. I mean, look, I think the Jets will be good with time. I don't think they're going to be good this year. And I love Robert Sala. I think he's the perfect guy. He is a no-bullshit guy. Send him to the Jets, which, you know, for lack of a better term, they've been a bullshit organization the past decade. They've got the longest playoff list streak in football. They're a sideshow. They're a bunch of clowns. The Johnson family is, is a mess. Uh, I mean, Robert Salah is the perfect guy to go to New York and instill a winning football culture. It's not going to happen this year. The culture will be established. (laughs) The on-field product will not. I think Carolina is going to have a fun day. I think Matt Rule, Joe Brady, and Sam Darnold are going to go out there. Look, Joe Brady is this season is maybe his last with Carolina. Do they have to win? Not necessarily. Do they have to put up good offensive numbers? Absolutely. And Joe Brady will be a head coach. I think Joe Brady is already looking ahead to that Cincinnati Bengals head coaching spot. I know Zach Taylor's young. I know they brought him in for that young, innovative mind. Look, they got Joe Burrow. They got Jamar Chase. Joe Brady being a head coach over in Cincinnati. It's the LSU National Championship team all over again. I think he's got his sights set on that if Carolina has a good offensive year. I think Sam Darnold is going to go out there with a vengeance against the Jets. Can't wait to see that. Uh, Baltimore and Vegas going to be a fun one. I'm not high on Vegas. I don't get what they did. They had a good year last year. They of course collapsed, started six and three, finished eight and eight, but they had a good year and they dismantled their offensive line. Uh, Another really questionable 
just bad draft. Uh, I, I don't get what they're doing. It's going to be fun to have the hype there Monday night. I think Baltimore is going to steamroll them. Pittsburgh Buffalo should be fun. Two hard hitting, two tough teams. I like the Bills in that one as an early pick, of course, but you know, it'll be fun seeing Najee Harris out there banging bodies with the Bills linebacking core. Uh, that'll be an exciting game. I do think the ball was somewhat dropped with the Giants Broncos game. I, I mean, look, I, and those are two, it's a Super Bowl rematch from the 80s, two historic great franchises. Give me the Eagles. I mean, the Giants have so many reasons right now to absolutely hate the Philadelphia Eagles. And I think that would have been a great week one game. You've got the Eagles laying down in the final week, final game of the regular season last year to essentially hand Ron Rivera and the Washington football team the division, keep the Giants out of the playoffs. Talked at length about that last season. You've got the Eagles making a freaking draft day trade with Dallas of all teams to jump the Giants to go from 12 to 10 when the Giants are picking 11 and take the guy the Giants were going to get, Devonta Smith, the Heisman winner. I mean, that game, there is no love lost between those two teams. I probably, I used to say I hated Dallas more than the Eagles. Right now, I think I hate the Eagles more than the Cowboys. Uh, That would have been a great week one matchup between the Giants and Eagles. Giants-Broncos will be fun, unless the Broncos get Aaron Rodgers, in which case, that will not be fun. But I'll circle back to that. Packers at Saints. The NFL scheduled the Green Bay Packers games, specifically their first month, giving them two primetime games, week two and I believe week four, and then the other two games are the biggest game of the week on CBS, their matchup with the Steelers, and the biggest game on Fox week one at New Orleans. The NFL scheduled Green Bay as if Aaron Rodgers is going to be their quarterback. Now, it's very interesting because like I said, I'll circle back to something week 18 when it comes to the Broncos schedule which would be phenomenal if Aaron Rodgers is the, is the quarterback in Denver by the time the season starts. But right now, Green Bay's schedule, especially their early season schedule, if Jordan Love or Blake Bortles is their starting quarterback, it's going to suck for the viewers because Green Bay is going to be on every TV screen across the country for the first four weeks of the NFL season. So for that reason, you almost have to hope Aaron Rodgers stays in Green Bay. Let's get to the revenge games. Because there are a ton of them. I mean, there's, of course, a game that could have been a fun revenge game. The Cardinals-Texans, DeAndre Hopkins, J.J. Watt with Arizona. Look, I mean, maybe people still want to ride the storyline there. This is not the same Texans organization. You know, J.J. Watt and DeAndre Hopkins, maybe they're going to be going up against the guys in the front office. That's, that's where the continuity is. There's no continuity in the coaching staff. There's no continuity in the on-field product. Deshaun Watson, I highly doubt, is going to step on an NFL field in 2021. Uh, to me, it's it's going to be overblown because the Texans are a team that can legitimately go 0-17. Imagine that. The first, the first year we have 17 regular season games, we could have our first 0-17 team. And I'll be generous. I'll say Houston will go 2-15 this year. But there is no on-field product down in Houston for that revenge game, if you want to call it that to even be of note. It's just, it's going to be a demolition on the part of the Arizona Cardinals. Now, the game that sticks out to me, and look, there's Jameis Winston. If he wins the Saints starting job, he gets two cracks at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. There is, of course, the Giants-Eagles that I spoke about, the Giants wanting revenge from the Week 17 laydown and the draft and all that. The game that sticks out to me is Tom Brady 
versus Bill Belichick. I'm going with the simple, easy call there, right? Week four, Sunday night football. I can't wait for this game for so many reasons. Look, this isn't ultimately going to tell us who the mastermind is. All right, get that out of your head. This Brady versus Belichick winner, similarly to how I said the winner of the Super Bowl last year, Brady Mahomes, is going to be the GOAT. Because if Brady beats Mahomes, not only is it going to be that much harder for Mahomes to catch him in terms of rings, but even if he does, and even if they tie, or even if Mahomes has one more, bam, Brady's got the head-to-head. This head-to-head is not going to determine who was more important to New England among the two. Because these are two different teams. You've got the Buccaneers, who are in my tier of teams that'll win 10 to 12 games, and the Patriots, who are in my tier of teams that'll win 7 to 9 games. They're two different rosters, two totally different offenses. I mean, the matchup here is going to be New England's defense, which they they got opt-outs back this season. They made noise in free agency on the defensive end. They drafted well Christian Barmore, Ronnie Perkins. To me, the matchup here is New England's defense versus Tampa's offense. Because New England's offense, no matter who's playing quarterback, I just can't see them doing doing much, moving the ball at all against really this Tampa Bay defense. But the storyline that I want to see play out, that Kyle Brandt this morning so astutely pointed out on Good Morning Football over on NFL Network, Tom Brady has a realistic chance to set the NFL all-time passing yards record week four in Foxborough on Sunday Night Football. Tom Brady would need about 1,100 yards uh, in the first four weeks to set the record that night. That's 288 yards per game in the Buccaneers' first four games of the season. Last year, again, and I got to give Kyle credit, Kyle Brandt pointed this out, last year Tom Brady averaged 289 yards per game. So if he throws as many yards per game as he averaged a year ago in the first four weeks, gets to 1,100 in the first four weeks, he will set the NFL all-time passing yards record in the place where he made himself the GOAT, the greatest quarterback of all time in Foxborough. That, to me, is the storyline. That's what makes this game so intriguing. I don't want to hear, is Mac Jones going to be playing against Tom Brady and the Bucks? You know, Mac Jones, the new Brady, Belichick's new golden boy, the perfect system guy in New England. Mac Jones, if he's playing in this game, I'm really questioning Bill Belichick for maybe the first time in my life because I don't think he'll be ready come week four. I don't know if he'll be ready come week 18. And I don't think he gives New England's offense the best chance to win that game. I think Cam Newton, look, Mac Jones at this point has a stronger arm. I don't know if he's more accurate. That's to be seen at the NFL level. But I think Cam Newton gives New England the better chance to win. First off, he's played against Tampa Bay a gajillion times, right? He was a Panthers quarterback. I know this is a very different Tampa Bay team, but he's got the experience against the Bucs. This is still, in Cam's mind, a bit of a rivalry game because he's an NFC South guy. He's also a veteran. He also was the first guy at New England to replace Brady. I know Jones is the long-term replacement to Brady. Newton was the first guy that when Brady left, the Patriots said, all right, we're going to take Cam Newton and he's going to give us the best chance to win now that Tom is gone. I think this game is going to mean a lot to Cam Newton. And I think that Cam Newton is still a good quarterback. I would love to see him return to MVP form. That's unlikely. But I think he is still a really good quarterback. I think this game could be a lot of fun. In fact, because of the early season struggles we've seen Brady have throughout his career, whether it's been in New England or even last year with Tampa, 
Don't forget, Tampa got very hot late in the season. They started off shaky as hell. You know, I'm not chalking this up to be a win for the Buccaneers. Are they the better team? Yes, I said that. That's established on paper. They're the much better team. Still not going to chalk it up as an automatic win. So that'll be a fun game. Another revenge game, by the way. It's not a player going back to face his old team because, yes, there's the Stafford golf matchup when the when the Rams host the Lions that's going to be a blowout give me a break it's two teams though one of whom needs revenge against the other week two Ravens Chiefs I mean the Chiefs actually there's a couple revenge games week one they play Cleveland of course Cleveland wants revenge from that divisional round playoff game last year but the Ravens Chiefs this is now the fourth time that they'll be playing Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes head-to-head the Ravens are 0-3 this is week two it's in Baltimore It's time for the Baltimore Ravens to stand up for themselves, punch the Chiefs in the mouth early, and run the damn ball all over the field. And oh, by the way, Lamar's got the weapons to throw the ball all over the field as well. He's got Hollywood Brown. He's got Rashad Bateman. He's still got his favorite target, Mark Andrews. This is the game, week two. I know it's early, but this could be a table setter for the 16 weeks to follow. The Ravens need a win. And it's going to be a short week because they open on Monday Night Football in Vegas. They need a win against the Chiefs once and for all. Now, the Week 18 schedule. That caught my eye immediately. Everyone's talking Week 1. Everyone's talking revenge games. Everyone's talking when do the Bills play the Chiefs? When do the Packers play the Chiefs? By the way, first time ever Mahomes and Rodgers, if Rodgers is Green Bay's quarterback, will face off. I can't wait for that. But Week 18, this matters, right? There are several games Week 18, first Week 18 ever, that can decide who wins the division, that can decide playoff seeding like there are every year. There's a game, if Aaron Rodgers ends up with the Denver Broncos, that could decide who gets the one seed as opposed to the five seed in the AFC. The Broncos close the year by hosting Kansas City. I mean, could you write it up any better? You've got the front end of the schedule loaded with Packers primetime games if Rodgers stays in Green Bay. And the back end with the perfect Broncos, Chiefs, maybe two 13 or 14 win teams if Rodgers is with Denver, of course. And could be duking it out, not just to win the division, but for home field in the AFC. I mean, there's a realistic chance if this is how it plays out, you know, the winner of this game could be getting the one seed and home field advantage. The loser could be a wild card team. It is really going to be interesting to see how this Rodgers saga plays out because the NFL scheduling whether he's in Green Bay or Denver it's going to make a lot of things pretty spicy also San Fran at the Rams that was the other game that caught my eye in week 18 you know the 49ers are going to be a lot better than last year and I'm actually almost borderline concerned with how in love I am with this year's San Francisco 49er team because if they blow it up and Jimmy Garoppolo either gets hurt or he stinks early and Trey Lance comes in, it's another rebuilding year. But they do, the fact of the matter is, while I'm not sold on Jimmy Garoppolo as a quarterback, they do have a great record when he's out there, when he's healthy, when he's on the field. The 49ers, all they do is win. And that 49ers-Rams game, you know, I love Seattle. I love Russ Wilson. I love Pete Carroll. The Seahawks are my favorite team in that NFC West. The 49ers-Rams game, These could be the two best teams in the NFC West. You know, I just, I don't think that the Seahawks have done enough to protect Russ Wilson. I don't think that they've done enough on the defensive side of the ball. They have the best quarterback in that division. No doubt about it. 
You know, I mean, between Russ, Brady, and Rodgers, you can make the argument they have the best quarterback in the NFC. Right now, I'd say Rodgers won Russ 2, Brady 3. But that Rams-Niners game, Week 18, those are the two most complete teams in the NFC West. Niners defense, Rams defense, really both phenomenal. That game could be who decide. you know, just like the Chiefs-Broncos hypothetical I drew up, that game could realistically be the difference between a one seed and a wild card, or at least a two or three seed and a wild card. That game could be mucho importante. I can't wait. I, I know we're months away, but anytime the NFL schedule comes out, I'm already ready to go, ready to run through a wall. Football season feels right around the corner, even though we've got an entire summer between now and then. But just like that, this episode of Serralo Sports Talk is up. It's over. It's out of here. Special thanks to Coach Claxton, Speedy Claxton, for joining the show. That was a blast, guys. I'm Joe Serralo. I'll see you next week here on Serralo Sports Talk.
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.